The following is a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church in Port Rowan, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit livinghopebiblechurch.ca. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Living Hope Bible Church podcast. We are beginning our podcast by looking into the book of Colossians. We're beginning our series as we look at the greatness of Jesus. He is our King, our Lord and Savior. What does that mean for our lives? My name is Josh Taylor. I'm the youth pastor here at Living Hope Bible Church. And as I was coming to preach this message, my heart was just feeling the weight of what we have currently been going through with COVID-19, the isolation, the regathering stages. And we want to thrive again. In Colossians chapter 2 today, we're going to see how for us to thrive in Christ, we must be rooted in Him what that looks like. Let's listen in. Well, uh, it, does, it does look different with people, now that I think about it. <laughs> Before we uh, jump into our series in Colossians, I kind of just want to take a step back for a moment. And, um, you know, I know things have been really different in the sense that we're in a state of regathering. By the way, it's really good to see so many of you. Um, I know, it looks so good in here, the fact that just with, you know, here's the church. And, um, you know, before, before everything went different and crazy, uh, you know, how was your Sunday morning routine? You may, you know, get up, you, uh, I know, you probably just feed yourself and have a peaceful morning if you don't have kids. Um, I'm not trying to be upset about having kids, I just, I kind of don't remember what it's like to not have kids in the morning. But, you know, you finally get to church, you know, we sing praises to God, and then the sermon comes, and it's just like, what at that moment are you expecting? What at that moment are you desiring? What are you used to? Because in some ways, if, you grew, if you've been like me and you've just grown up in church, in some ways you can very much just get, like, uh, used to it, and then you kind of just get the pastor's going to preach, this is normal. And it's not that you necessarily disregard it. It's just a case of like, do you, have you ever taken a moment just to be like, what is a sermon? Why is the, what's the point of a sermon? Why do people preach? And uh, if you haven't already, uh, I would advise that you go to, uh, you check out a, a documentary called American Gospel on, uh, on Netflix. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And on it, uh, if I can pronounce his name right, J.D. Gary, no, Greer, ah, messed it up and I like practiced that. <laughs> what's the point? Um, so he said, on the documentary, he said, lectures are to inform, motivational speakers are for action, sermons are for worship. And uh, I'm reading a book called, by John Piper that st- stresses the same point. Uh, it, I'm not belittling singing, please don't under- misunderstand me here. Um, but when it comes to worship, it's really about a heart position before God. And music, you know, that gives us unity in saying, God, you are great all together. And um, when the word comes, when we read God's word, it's a continuation of this idea of worship. Yes, you will be informed by the scripture. There's a lot of information in here. Uh, You will also be motivated to action as Christ calls us to do some things. But overall, in our heart, as we do those things, it's, are you coming to worship God? Are you coming to be like... You know, Lord, who are you? Who am I? And where do I need to go from here? In sermons, there can be a blend of theology and application. Hopefully there should be. If there's not, I don't know what you're listening to. Um, But uh, 
I have this quote from this very small book. It's the most um, unthreatening book. I forget what the word I was actually going to use, but look how small that is. Um, and from it, it talks about theology, and this is its uh, purpose for theology. So there's a quote up here, or at least should be that. Oh, next one. The purpose of theology, of which you can also understand, is when we go to the scripture, okay? If you have an opinion about God in some way, you, you are a theologian in some regard. So the purpose of theology is to stoke your worship, to deepen your faith, oh, sorry, to deepen your love, to fuel your mission and to sustain your life. We're not just talking about Jesus Christ as if, okay, next thing, what should we do now? You know, how is this fueling your life? Okay, so turn with me in Colossians. Uh, we're going to continue our series. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And um, Mark originally gave me uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to uh, 15, but that began on a therefore, uh, so I naturally backed up to make sure we know what it's there for. I feel like that's such a Bible school joke as well. You see what the therefore is there for, um, but it gets me every time. So uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1, continues the flow of Paul's thoughts. You know, uh, he's still uh, explaining his ministry. He's talking about uh, his heart for this church in uh, chapter 1. Uh, you know, he talks about the preeminence of Christ and his deity, and then he flowed, he flowed into talking about his ministry, of how he's suffering, but yet he's rejoicing. And he wants to uh, keep warning people and teaching everyone about all the wisdom in Christ uh, so that they will mature in Christ. And then verse 1, he comes to say, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now, Paul's never been to this church or Laodicea. He preached the gospel in Ephesus and uh, Epaphras, um, uh, the guy who is the physical carrier of this letter as he's coming to visit Paul while he's in prison. This guy heard the gospel, went back to his hometown in Colossae and, and spread the gospel, and people came to faith. And, you know, whether there's more people with him or not, it's just this kind of awesome vision, uh, this picture of the fact is God doesn't need lots of people. God doesn't need specially skilled people. God needs faithful people. And, you know, you've got this one Christian, as far as we know, there's just one of them, just, you know, just like dropped into a city with the gospel in his heart, and you've got the birth of a church, people coming to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why people can't stop the gospel, because of God. Not because of the people, it's because of the God and the gospel itself. People are seeking life. But that's a sidetrack. But anyway, it's a pretty good one. So verse 1, he says, you know, I rejoice. Uh, sorry, I, I, uh, I, I want you to know that I struggle for you. Okay, he's like, I've been hearing some things from Epaphras, and I struggle for you. And I'm writing, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance. You know, isn't that quite the statement? To reach all all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now in chapter 1, Paul went you know, quite thorough about who Jesus is. And it's, quite, it's a huge thing because we, we just stand upon Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is not God, how could he have risen from the dead? How could he have taken our sins and be this perfect sacrifice? And so Jesus Christ, who he is, 
by nature of how we believe the gospel, we believe who he is, we need to know who he is. And there were people uh, in this church that were talking uh, like about visions they were having, mysteries that they understood that other people did not understand. And Paul's reassuring, I want you to reach for the riches of the full assurance of who Jesus is, because he's the mystery that's been revealed. Don't feel like people should lord over you, oh, well, they know more, they have a secret knowledge, and they like know what we should do. And we'll get to that uh, next week as we finish chapter 2. And so as he's writing to them, he's wanting to make sure that they know who Jesus is. Because then to have a healthy church, to have people growing in Christ, it's all through Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, our culture of Norfolk that's just creating this body here. You know, we're all looking towards the cross. And the cross as we live life according to the cross. It's just that Jesus Christ is the one who's fueling us. Not any kind of other philosophy. And so he's writing to them in verse 4, I say this, you know, focus on Christ. He is the mystery. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. If you are like me and you never use the word delude, um, and also if you are like me and I get confused by Canadians when they use D's instead of T's, uh, like everyone say butter right now? Butter or butter? Which one do you say? Let's not fool anyone here. <laughs> so as, as I would read this verse in, in the land of Canada, and I would hear delude, I'm like, it's probably meaning dilute. I don't know. Uh, you know I was 12 when I came. But um, uh, if you don't use the word delude and you don't know what it means, just like I didn't, um, it means to make someone believe something false. In a way, it's to lie to someone, to teach them falsehood, and then they believe it, and then they believe this lie. Someone to come and teach a false doctrine, false, un false understanding of God. And Paul's like, I don't want anyone to lead you astray. I want you to be on the truth. I don't want you to believe in a lie. And people, as they were questioning who Jesus is, and because uh, remember, they don't have the New Testament in its full. They just received a letter of the New Testament. You know, they're like piecing this together and you're in this early stage of Christianity where the Spirit is very much guiding people. You know, Epaphras, I don't think, uh, you know, there was any like version of the Bible that he could just like, oh, I've got a whole bunch. I'll buy them from ancient Amazon or whatever the like bookstore of the day is. And it's just like, you know, he had nothing of that. And so when Paul is setting up uh, these churches, and he's writing to them, he's always been like, this is the truth. Remember Christ who I preached to you. Remember that we are saved, not by works, we're saved by faith. And they're the elements in all, this, all these letters to these early churches, because where there is the gospel preached, uh, you know, there is there's spiritual uh, war raging there. As people, as, as, uh, you know, as Satan wants to hold people from the gospel, and there's battles, you know, <laughs> Like it's one of those things that when you see in Scripture, uh, in like First John, where he's just telling them, you know, love one another, love one another. You know, Christians, as we're in the same building, as we're in, uh, you know, we live close together and things like that, it's like sometimes it's hard to get along. And there's, you really need to be told, you know, love one another. And in amongst all these things, there's people coming into this group and trying to preach lies, you know, for their own reasons. And so Paul is being very clear. I want to say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent, this is verse 5, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. 
Rejoice and see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. You know, he recognizes that their heart is sold on Christ and they're hearing all these different things. They don't know what to, you know, to do. Apparently, Epaphras came out to talk to Paul while he's in prison. And so, so Epaphras is going to come back with this letter. And so because of that, he hears of their good order, good order, their firmness of their faith in Christ. He says, verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Other versions say live in him. Uh, a commentary that I uh, read said this about the, the way that this is meant here. Here the emphasis is on the sort of conduct appropriate for one who claims Jesus as Lord. It very much mirrors Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Live in such a way, live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And you know, the actual word, have you ever thought of that? Live in such a way that's worthy of the gospel? It's like Jesus, who was sinless, came, took on our responsibility, our sin. He was just like, I'm going to take that upon myself. I'm going, to pay it on, you know, I'm going to pay for it on the cross. And we're like, I've got to live in a way that's worthy of that sacrifice. You know, being a Christian is not just a check. It's not just like, okay, I, go, I guess I go to church now. I guess I hear sermons now. Now it's, it changes everything. And so as we are called to live in such a way that is worthy of the cross, that's a big deal. It's no small matter because what Jesus did on the cross is the ultimate image and display of love. You know, as we see one another again, as we're regathering, it's just like, are we knit together with love? Do we show love and compassion towards one another? You know, people outside of this building, uh, you know, not just people who are part of our church who are not here, but also just people in our community. Do we show love? Do we show a life that's like, they are different. The gospel has changed them. There is a God because I know that they have been changed. So therefore, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. And as I, you know, this, this verse very much is the application of the doctrinal piece of him being like, Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is God, and it's just like, because we follow him, walk in him. And it was just like, what does, what does Paul want this church to do? What does God want this church to be encouraged to do? And for this whole chapter, so this week and next week, this sort of sentence is uh, what I see Paul's heart for the church here. Paul wants the church to thrive in Jesus Christ alone. Alone. Not thriving in a Jesus plus something, like maybe you could like... You know, Jesus Christ made it possible for us to say, get saved, but maybe you have to do some extra good things. Maybe you have to have some extra spiritual things. Maybe you have to, you know, um, avoid certain substances and different things. It's just like Christ alone. Okay, and that'll be next week. But this week, I want to focus on the word thrive. Okay? From what we see here throughout, his word, uh, throughout Paul's letter, he wants them to be mature. He wants them to be encouraged so for them to reach for the riches of the, uh, the full reassurance, uh, sorry, full assurance of Jesus, okay? He's not just wanting them like some, some kind of like regular life that's just Christian. He wants them to be producing fruit, to be thriving in Christ, and so as we see here, walk in him very much is saying to do that. And then verse 7, he says how we do that. Oh, <clears throat> sorry, I jumped ahead. <laughs> sorry, just give me a moment. I'm still figuring out what it's like to look into people's eyes while I do this. 
as you might notice, I may be sweating a bit more than normal. <laughs> I want to be clear, I'm not talking about any kind of prosperity gospel. I'm not meaning any kind of like thrive means Jesus wants you to earn lots of money and have the career that you want and be who you want to be. I'm talking about a soul a spiritual, heartfelt, satisfied, thriving, where the gospel comes to you and you have peace. The gospel comes to you and you have joy. Okay? I mean spiritual thriving in the Holy Spirit. I don't mean, you know, God take my troubles away. You know, thrive in these troubles. And so, there's a picture that I'm going to show you. I hope my kids don't distract you too much. Um, they are super cute and adorable, but this is, the, this is a tree. They really wanted to come with me as I went outside. Um, there's this tree, and it is just rotten to the core. That big chunk by her legs, they just like kicked it, and it just fell right off. And then goes to the next picture. It's just this dead-looking tree, but yet it's still alive. There is still like leaves on it. It still produces, I don't know if it's of nuts or a seed. I don't know what it is. Those like green ball things. You know, yeah, walnuts, that was it. Yeah, so it's still somehow alive. <laughs> it just fills that. Some critter fills the, heart, the, the core of it and just fills it in there. Anyway, so as we've looked back on these past three months, now it's becoming four. Did you ever feel like during the whole isolation, it's like, man, it's been a whole month that we've been like just staying at home and doing our strange new life. And then it'll be the second month. And then it was the third month. And now we're like, you know, we're still in the regathering stages. Things are not normal. And if we're honest, you know, it's been hard. I don't know about you, but I have not been spiritually thriving throughout this time. It's been difficult. And in some ways, do you feel like you identify with this tree where it's just like you're just kind of hanging in there? Perhaps you do this, the thing that I bend towards is whenever a hardship comes in life, you just kind of spiritually go numb or you just kind of freeze or you just kind of hold your breath until you kind of come out on the other side. You know, I know people say, like, uh, are you a fight-or-flight person? Well, like, it's like, I just freeze. I don't know which one of those is that, but it's just like, I just kind of wait for the time to go. Three months is a long time. There were some really dark times of feeling empty. And it's just like, I don't believe I'm the only one. I believe as we all did not meet together, as we're all uh, missing one another, and then as we regather, we're all wearing masks, you know, it's, it's like it's not quite the same. It's kind of strange. It's new. It's like, how do we do this again? And there's that apprehension. You know, you feel like you're in the first day of school again where you're trying to figure out whose locker is next to yours and do you like them or are you just going to have this awkward relationship for the next year? You know, it's been difficult. The thing is, I want to thrive again. I want to thrive in Christ. And I believe we, as living hope, we want to thrive in Christ. And like I said, that doesn't mean that we just suddenly have lots of money and the troubles go away and all this kind of thing. It's just like, I want to be made whole in Christ and I want to have fruit be produced in my life that can only come from God so that I can love other people, so that I can keep loving my kids, so I can keep you know, self-control throughout the whole time, so that I can be patient with those who I struggle with. And so I was like, what does thrive? Before we aim at thrive, we can all understand a picture of like a, you know, a tree thriving. Uh, if you type in go on Google thrive, because that's what I do now for the dictionary, because it brings it right up. It's a lot easier than going through the pages. I don't know. Um, so thrive means to grow and develop well or vigorously. Okay? It's not just slowly growing. It's uh, well and vigorous. 
Okay, to thrive in Christ means to grow vigorously in our faith in Christ. And I have this definition up here. It's a bit wordy, but you'll kind of get it. So to thrive in Christ, because this is a whole concept, means to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's the, the two commandments that the whole law stands on. That's like, you know, what are we to do? It's like to love God, love others. Okay? Now, thriving, the element of thriving in Christ is this last part here, with the overflowing abundance of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, thriving doesn't mean you get it all. You just kind of like understand everything. Oh, I know what God's got planned here. I get it. I'm like totally fine. No, it means that you have love. You have joy. You have peace. To thrive is to abound in love for God and others. To live life to the fullest in Christ. You know, John 10.10, Jesus said that, I came so that you may have life and life abundantly. He's not meaning that it's going to be easy. It's going to be that. It's going to be filled with him. It's going to be filled with hope. To thrive is to experience full and passionate joy, to have peace amidst the struggles, to have depths of patience for all life's frustrations. A church that is thriving is full of kindness and goodness to all people, no matter the differences. A a Christian who is thriving in their faith is gentle with those they struggle with, and they practice self-control against all evil and temptation. To thrive in Christ is to experience spiritual and eternal satisfaction in your heart. And there's nothing that can supplement Jesus Christ. There's nothing. And so, as we get into this walk in Him, to live in Him, as you want to be fruitful in Him, mature in Him, how do we do that? Okay? We see this in verse 7 here. So, read with me verse 6. So, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, here we have this, this first point here. Your life, your life will thrive when you are rooted in Christ. The answer is not take you out of the struggle. It's not take you, you know, just fix your life situation. You know, he's the God of the mountains and the valleys. He's, he's not just changing based on the situation. He's trying his best all the time. No, it's like, no, he's got you. He's got his people. And so how do we thrive in these times? It's we be rooted in Christ. And from these four words here, being rooted, built up in, established, abounding in thanksgiving, I've I've come up with uh, four aspects of how to be rooted. Okay, as we want to thrive, how do we do this? And the first thing is caught in the in. Uh, Kind of a theme throughout all of uh, Colossians and Ephesians, you know, like be in Christ. You are in Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you repent from your sin and come to faith that he is your Lord and Savior, you are in Christ. And so this whole in Christ, what does that mean? We are in Christ. You practice that by abiding in Christ. Turn with me to John 15, John chapter 15. And you can read this whole passage if you want to look into more of like, what does this mean to abide? But for time's sake, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus here is talking about him being the true vine. And we are the branches. You know, very much having that we are in him. We are abiding in him. We are rooted in him. Okay? And as he's talking to his disciples, this is what he says in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit... You know, it cannot thrive by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, okay, I want all of you to say this last word here, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. It's very much one of those things that we kind of like be like, yeah, I believe that. But then you've got this working thesis that you're actually going by that's like, I kind of don't. You know, we want to, we want to live in such a way that we believe, we do what we believe. We can do nothing without Christ. Going through hardships, going through hard times, it's like we can do nothing. We cannot produce the fruits of the Spirit without Christ. And so we must abide in him. To abide means to remain, stay in, sort of like you can abide in a place, like abide in a, a hotel, I guess. Um, mind you, though, it must be a nice hotel because abide has like a nice sound to it, it's sort of like as if it's a refuge. And so the image of this is do life with Christ, not just for him, okay? Imagine a, a parent with a family, a spouse with a marriage, and they're always doing life for their family, for their marriage. I'm planning this. I'm organizing this. I'm going to get this time off here. We're going to like work for this, going to provide for this. But then if they're doing all this for the family, but then if they're never with their family, what does that mean? And so as we as Christians, we can be doing life for Christ. We're going to serve. We're going to do these things. We want to go, you know, do this. But then do you do life with Christ? Have you ever been somewhere with your spouse and you can't like be with each other the whole time? You sort of check in throughout the day, you know, like how's your day going? You just, and then you go back to doing whatever it was and you check in again. You know, it's just like with Christ, how are you abiding in him? How do you check in with him? How do you live life with Christ, not just for him? Life's not just about accomplishing these commandments, accomplishing uh, the, the mission of Christ. It's, it's also for our hearts. We need to abide with Christ. How are you doing life with Christ? You know, when you abide in Christ, it changes your Bible reading time to an actual fellowship time with God. Because just reading God's word as a checklist kind of thing, we can all know that we can easily start to struggle with, like, well, I did it. You know, but it's like, are you having fellowship with God? And you've got to view it as like you would any relationship. Did you go deep into your, you know, your conversations with your, you know, your desire for one another? And it's just like, God loves you so much and he wants to be with you and yet so many times our hearts can easily go through day after day while we just spiritually starve ourselves and which leads me to the next part of this being rooted in Christ uh, the way that roots work they don't just simply go into the ground if any of you have ever bought those like black little uh, planter things that you take out the, the, start, the plant that's already started for you because you couldn't be bothered to plant the seeds yourself. Um, but you know how the roots are just everywhere? It's just like seeking as much uh, water and nutrients as much as possible. The second thing of how do we thrive, uh, how do we, uh, sorry, be rooted is that we must seek nutrients from him. We must draw from him. I have a picture of a tomato plant and mind the, don't mind the tea bag. Uh, realize it was in there afterwards, but that's fine. You see, how, you see how those leaves are like curled up? I'll be honest, I forgot to water it. I don't know if it was two days. Um, and uh, you can see the soil. I had just watered it, and it didn't come back right away. Um, but uh, so yeah, all the leaves like curled up. Go to the next one. And it's just like, there it was. It was back again the next day after I watered it. 
It's just like, how many times in our spiritual life do we not actually come to Christ and seek nutrients? Do we not seek, uh, you know, we're thirsty in our souls for spiritual food, but then we're just like, eh, I'll go somewhere else. I'll do something else. I'll do that later. I'm busy right now. You know, in John chapter 4, verse 13, you don't need to turn there. Uh, Jesus talks to a woman at the well. He says, everyone who drinks from this water, this regular well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. In fact, it will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And yet, how often do we go on week after week thirsting and the only thing we can get is Sunday? John Piper, in his book, Hunger for God, there's this quote by him. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long on the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. You know, we have a hunger within our hearts. We have a hunger for spiritual food. We do. And yet we kind of just nibble on other things. And it's just like, I'm not necessarily saying those things to make you feel bad. What I want to do is to remind you to go to the right place. But when it comes to why do you live? Why do you exist? Who are you? You know, um, I listened to a sermon by a pastor uh, in these past few weeks. And he's, he, he was talking about what is the greatest commandment the, the, when someone came to Jesus and said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, imagine if Jesus appeared to you right now and just you and you could ask him one question. His point was to say, don't ask that question. It's been asked three times and answered every time. But it was just like, as he was saying, like, what would you ask God? Uh, sorry, what would you ask Jesus right now? And I'll, and I'll be honest, all I could think of at that time was just like, do, do you love me? Because I can't really feel anything right now in my heart. And, you know, just because you're a Christian, just because uh, you're born, you know, you believe in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that we just have everything figured out. And it's just like, sometimes we struggle. You know, God, do you love me? And it's just like, you need to be reminded by his word and by his people, yes, you are loved. And we are need to be reminded to come to Christ because that's where the love is. You know, many places in this world tell you to look into yourself and find belonging and understanding within yourself, and you can find your own purpose. It's just like, if you are desiring, what is the point of my days? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Are you thirsty? Come to him. And the third thing of how are we going to be rooted in Christ? And the third thing, we must stand upon him. Okay, you must stand upon Christ. You know, uh, the, the, turn with me back to Colossians 2, if you haven't already. Um, you know, rooted and built up in and established in the faith as you were taught. You know, very much when the times come, we stand upon what we know. It doesn't mean that uh, when the time comes, we can't struggle, but yet you are like, Lord, all I can hold on is to what you said. And what those foundations are built upon is our faith. That's why really the only thing that matters when it comes to you and Jesus Christ, because our works are, are, are like nothing, you know, like we, we're, we're, we're sinful people who have been saved through our faith in the good works of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. And so it's just like, we'll get later to all these different kind of uh, counterfeit gospels where these people were like, yeah, but you need to 
live a certain way and you need to like not uh, sin like this and that and that. And it's just like, yeah, but ultimately how we saved is through faith. And so the only thing that matters and your foundation in Jesus Christ is do you believe what he has said? And so when the time comes, that belief is tested. That foundation is tested. Now he is, he is the rock that we are like standing upon, but the ability to stand on him comes down to our faith. And really when we need to look at lives, you know, our lives, you know, seasons come and go. There's mountains, there's valleys. And the valleys tend to draw us to the fact that, yes, I do need him. I do need to stand upon him. And so as we've come through and we're coming through this regathering phase, you know, it's like, how are you standing upon Jesus Christ? How do you believe what he has said? How do you believe his grace and his love towards you? To be rooted, you must stand upon him. And the fourth thing here in the last, last part of the verse seven, uh, being rooted and built up in him, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, the Christian life is not a cold, dry, lifeless, disappointing, stiff, or dissatisfying state. We abound with thanksgiving because of what Jesus has done. Even in the hard times, you know, yes, times come, but think about what has God given you? Because what God has given you is eternal. He always has you. Through Jesus Christ, he's given us eternal life, the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, our church family. He's given us the ability to pray. He's given us heartfelt satisfaction that he has us. No matter what happens, you know, the Christian doesn't fear death because of Jesus Christ. We have purpose, blessings, and he brings comfort in the times of hardship. And as I was going through this, you know, preparing for this, it was just like, God, what have you... What do I have to give thanks for? And, you know, God gives comfort, gives peace throughout the hard times. You know, whether you lose someone, whether uh, things change in your life, he gives greatly because he loves greatly. Are you abounding in thanksgiving? If you are rooted in Christ, abiding in him, drinking from him, standing upon him, abounding in thanksgiving for what he has given you with a heartfelt gratitude, you will begin to thrive again. There are seasons where things come and go, but you will be rooted in Christ because that's where fulfillment is. Us getting together as a church, uh, that social part of it is not where the thriving is going to come from. It's still Jesus Christ. And the only fellowship that we can truly have is still in Jesus Christ. So it's all a part of the whole picture. But what I don't want anyone to come here believing is the fact that we're now able to regather in some way that it's going to Therefore, make it all work again. We're all having to, through faith, seek Christ and be rooted in him so that Living Hope Bible Church can thrive again. And um, the last verse here that I'll be covering today kind of sets up for the next part, but it's definitely key in understanding this. The second point I want to make this, this morning um, is your life will dry up if you are rooted in anything else. Read with me verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, see to it that no one takes you captive. That means enslavement. You know, no one takes you away from the hope that we have in Christ. That no one takes you away from the hope that we have in Christ. Make sure, and we'll get to it more further on later, where people start uh, disqualifying each other, saying, you are not living like a Christian because you 
you know, you, you don't meet on the right day because you don't eat the right foods because of these things. And it's just like, therefore, you are not a Christian. It's just like, wait, I believe in Jesus Christ. I cannot earn any kind of righteousness on my own. I believe in him. And so it's just like, don't let anyone take you captive away from Christ. There is nothing that can replace Jesus Christ. There is no politician, ideology, tradition, or philosophy that you can dig your roots into with hopes that true life is going to sprout within you. Jesus Christ is divine, divinely powerful, the one we hold on to, the one that strengthens us, and the one that gives us life. I'm going to list some things that kind of creep into uh, the Christianity of today here. The toxic positivity movement where you just have to believe in yourself. You are the answer. You're awesome. You're amazing. You know, it is against the gospel of Jesus Christ where we're called to repent. The gospel of wokeness does not replace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trump is not Jesus Christ. The belief that God wants to bless us financially, materialistically, or career-wise, it's against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so is the belief that God owes you anything, a blessing, or anything like that. God loves you because he loves you. He doesn't owe you anything. When you pray, you're not like, God, you owe me this. It's against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not to live a life of luxury to make it feel like, well, we're just trying to live a comfortable life. The ideology of tolerance, which used to mean, I disagree with you, but I bear with you, has now been replaced with I agree with you and celebrate you. It's against the truth of Jesus Christ. Legalism is against the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot earn anything without, uh, you cannot earn anything with God. You know, God simply calls those who believe in him righteous. Those who have faith in him. And that's not just a, like, oh, uh, he's real, I believe his word, but it's just like faith. You're like, I'm going to trust him. God calls those who believe in him righteous not those who believe they are righteous. Uh, you know, these are philosophy, antecedents, human traditions, things that are going on, ideologies that can enter into uh, Christian beliefs. And, you know, despite any good that you can identify in these things, because remember, family is really good, but where are you going to seek your life? It's to be from Christ. It's not to be from you being a father or a mother uh, or having uh, parents that love you. It's just those things are all good blessings that God has given you, and they all add up to this description of us. But it's just like, where do we find our identity? Where do we find our hope? Where do we find our life? It has to ultimately be in Jesus Christ. Because we will let each other down in some way or another, whereas Jesus Christ is not. And the fact is, the last thing that I want to kind of draw on, the fact is, as we look to, like, how am I going to believe? How am I going to thrive again? How am I going to do this? Jesus Christ is the only real source of life. Next week, we'll go into this as well, but because remember, Paul's thoughts just keep going. They just keep flowing. And Paul's focus is not on the fake things, not on the uh, counterfeit gospels or the falsehoods. He starts to say, let's focus on the real thing. Let's focus on the real one who saves us, the real one who uh, changes who we are, the real one who gives us purpose. And that is Jesus Christ. Are you rooted in him? Do you abide in him? Do you drink from him? Do you come to him? And you know, as we, as we, as uh, the church of Living Hope, you know, we want to thrive in Christ. We want to uh, bear fruit for him. 
We want to be a place where there's like, there's people that live out the gospel. I've heard of good things because they love people. They are kind. They are good. They are patient. They have joy. There's, you know, when they worship together, it's just because like, wow, that, they, they worship a real God. And so I know these weeks have been, these months have been difficult. And I want to, I want to pray together as a church as we ask that, can God uh, make us thrive again? Can we be rooted in him? Can we be knit together in love and pursue that kind of Christianity together? Let's not just meet to be just a church that's just like what people are used to where there's just like, oh yeah, they gather there and they're just kind of there. It's like, why not be a, a, a radical, thriving Christian place where we are like, we want to live out this radical gospel. So I'm going to ask you now, I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to, I know it's one thing to, to say, Lord, we bow before you, but it's like a whole other thing to actually kneel before God. I'm going to ask you, if you want to thrive in Christ and you want to be united as a church, I'm going to ask that you, uh, that, you, uh, that you kneel with me as we pray. Let's pray. Father, as we come, we are your people. And Father, we're not united by any other cause or ideas or anything. We are united in Christ Things have been difficult. Things have been tough. We have not been able to get together in such a way that we could enjoy one another's company or have fellowship in Christ in a way that we've enjoyed in the past, Lord. And there are those who are struggling. Father, we are all struggling in our ways. Father, may we be rooted in you. As Living Hope Bible Church, may we be rooted in Christ. May we glorify your name. May we rely upon you. May we have faith, Lord. You are the one who can bring those things. It is not in anything that we do. It is not within ourselves. It is just in Jesus Christ. May we not seek to add things to Jesus. May we just see the cross. May we just see his righteousness. May we just see the Son of God, our Savior, our champion, our warrior king. And may, Lord, you bring peace. May you bring all the fruits of the Spirit, Lord. Because you bring life from darkness. You bring hope from the hopeless places where we used to be. When we were dead, you made us alive you have brought us to life. May we sing praises to you. May we glorify you. May we, may we acknowledge that there is no other place. There is nothing greater than you. And we praise you. We want to sing to you. We want to worship you. For you have done great things. This has been the Living Hope Bible Church podcast. If you would like to get in contact with our church, please go to livinghopebiblechurch.ca.